Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast. It's me, Dave Convery. It's Roger Hart. Hello. Say hello, Roger. I just did. Oh, well. Just constantly undermining me. I know. Well, it helps. I enjoy it. You do Everyone like, enjoys you, it. You do like thwarting me. Yes. Yes, I do. I actively thwart you at every turn. <laughs> it's because you're a bastard. Yes, it is. So, we're back from Thought Bubble. Yes, we are. And I think a little confused. We survived. I didn't shit myself. He's not telling the truth. Well, you know what they say, print the legend. So it's fair to say that at at Thought Bubble we are probably not um, looking after our health particularly well. No, that's why we went for the outrageous meat swords dinner and then to meat liquor and then we ate the falafel so we didn't die. I liked it when we were at the party and they switched all of the beer lines and got very confused, so... Instead of the 3% beer that was being ordered, we were getting 6.5% beer. That was um, nice. I mean, they cost the same, so it wasn't like we were kind of cleaning up. But, yeah, someone... Slight, someone the, the light was so bad behind the bar, I actually felt really bad for the bar team. And, yeah, they must have put the wrong line in the keg or something. Because, yeah, I got unintentionally shit-faced. Again. It's usually intentional. Right. Um, party was fun. Deliberate practice, Mr. Convery, is an important part of, uh, of kind of improving the way you do the things you do. In my case, alcoholism. Yes. Yes. And when it comes to dancing, you're a man who knows all 12 steps. <laughs> I'm a terrible dancer. But it doesn't matter, because it's a thought bubble party, and you can dance like an absolute tit, and no one will care. And the only thing anyone's looking at is when it suddenly switches to that fucking scene in Paprika with the rapey butterfly, and oh my god, why did they do that? Yeah, there was a lot of anime on the screens. Uh, that was interesting. The entirety of Interstellar 5555. That was fun. It made um, more sense than I thought it would. It made more sense than Paprika. But that's uh, one of the things I really like about the festival and the party is that the, the, the atmosphere is genuinely really good. No one's being an arse. Do you know what else was really good? What? The TP. That's TP as in tent. Yes, the TBTP, the uh, the additional tent they built. The in tuberculosis the, toilet paper. Yes. Yes. Um, that they built in the um, little, what do you call it, square? The square between the armories yeah. and New Dock Hall. Which they totally missed a trick not renaming to Modoc Hall. I don't think they have that power. I don't think the Leeds City Council would allow them to do that. Ad hoc signage, motherfucker. Well, I'll Photoshop it in. Excellent. But no, the TP was... Um, so I, I help run the... Well, I get involved in the Cambridge Beer Festival and we, we set up a giant ad hoc marquee and those fuckers are not cheap and theirs was much fancier than ours. Um, I had walls and stuff to keep the yeah, nice. screaming fans out. It was very nice. Um, was, and, uh, Lucy was there, of course. Yes, um, that's a friend of the show, Lucy Bellwood. Um, buy her stuff. Buy her stuff. So she'll still talk to us. Yes. Yes, it's the only reason is the constant plugging on here. Mm. So, while we were at the show, we did a bunch of interviews, or rather, you did a bunch of interviews, and I stood around looking scared and told you how to operate the microphone. That was a little bit weird. Mm. I kind of thought you'd be up for talking to people. I'm normally the shy one. I can't stand talking to people. Why are you talking to Oh, you have to. Yes, I have to. Care in the community. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it was part of my parole conditions. Yes. Yeah. You're not getting that ankle tag off. Um, but before we, uh, before we sort of go into the interviews that we did, 
What were your highlights from day two and the massive haul of things that you brought back? Well, yeah, so I only really bought anything. I bought, I bought a couple of things on day one, which we mentioned on the Quick and Dirty Thoughtful podcast. Yes. Um, which several people have now listened to, as opposed to the full version of our intro music, which I uploaded the first time accidentally. Sorry about that. In your defense, you had drunk half a bottle of wine and we were in a hurry. Yes, because we had to go and eat meat and party. Hmm. Mm. But, you know, everyone got to hear, or 40 people, I think, according to the stats. Yeah, just got the full version of the intro music. So you you enjoy that. That's uh, Chris Whitworth, who came with us. That was his fine work. Apparently uh, we owe him some royalties or something. I hope he was joking. I don't have any money. No, I don't either. I spent it on comics. Yeah. Tell us which comics you spent yours on. Ooh, segue. I know. I know. That was really slick if it wasn't a pathetic attempt to get you back onto where I got you to two minutes ago. Jesus, fuck. Okay, so I I picked up um, uh, Mulp from the guys at Improper who we interviewed, Mm -hmm. and their porcelain sampler, and I'm kicking myself for not picking up Butterfly Gate, uh, because it's beautiful, and... I did that thing I sometimes do where if I'm trying not to buy too much stuff, I cleave over strongly to my prejudices and it didn't have any dialogue. And I generally don't buy non, like, buy dialogue free comics, which is insane because there are so many beautiful ones. Um, I should have bought that. Um, so, someone out there, all of you are five and a half, three and a half listeners, someone go and fucking buy that to make up for it. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Let's do that. I bought the first volume of Horizon, which is a story about a little girl fantasizing, or maybe not fantasizing, about robots. Uh, beautiful black and white line work. I haven't read it yet. Uh, what else did I buy? The Wicked and Divine, obviously, because hashtag Wickdiv, because we're basically all there to hump Gillen and McKelvey's collective comics leg. It was kind of the Wickdiv festival, wasn't it? It, it was. I Last mean, year was what, the Young 30, Avengers. 40% of the cosplay? I think that's probably an exaggeration, but there were a lot of Morrigans. There were a lot of um, a lot of Lauras. There were, I saw at least one Lucifer. I saw three, mostly good as well. Yeah, no, all of the cosplay was good. It's I thought very, about cosplaying Lucifer. It's very cosplay friendly. Um, you would have just been cosplaying David Bowie in that case. Yeah. But you can do that. You could get away with that. I've nearly got the bone structure. Um... I really hope now that sort of a few more issues out, someone next year does the full Wicked and Divine uh, Woden Daft Punk outfit. That would be delightful. Like would be. someone's going to need a lot of uh, LEDs or pouches for glow sticks on their suits. Mm. But that looks amazing. The, I love um, that bit of design. Is it Anka Anaka, the the ancient. Uh, yeah, Anaka. Yeah. That's just the mask is great. I mean, McMist. Mr. McAlvey must be furious every time he has to draw it, but it's it's delightful, and I would love to cosplay that if I were a little old lady. I think it'd just look weird if I did it. You could do a young, gender-bent version of it. I'm a six-foot-tall ginger puff. It would just be weird. You're not that ginger, and you're six-two. Well, that settles it, then. Fetch the silly mask. Anything else? Um, well, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff on the blog post, so Cinebook were there. They've got a lot of cool, um, big, weird sci-fi regular listeners or occasional listeners that got lucky with that one podcast will know that we're big fans of big, weird sci-fi. They've also got... Um, and Pirates. And Pirates. Um, they've also got an almost complete run of 13, um, which, if you're not familiar, is a glorious um, spies and amnesia and international mm. espionage. Um Basically, it's kind of a sensible version of Archer. Uh, 
but it's it's um it's pretty great and they have a volume that's illustrated by mobius as well which yeah. looks lovely um i quite like to some mobius without jodorowsky yeah humanoids had some great um new books oh as that well. does look lovely what was their thing um the stand that had that the thing that i really wanted to buy shadows of salamanca yes yeah, they have they have some amazing looking new books out. Those, yeah, um, they were one of my big regrets. So I'm going to be kind of guiltily sloping off to Amazon and grabbing some of those. Yeah, um, kind of the same. I, I I broadly feel better about buying from independent creators at cons because I tried, I made much more effort this year. Last year I just bought everything I liked. This year I was trying to get the stuff I couldn't get elsewhere. Yeah, I think there's I think there's value in that both for you in finding new things to read um, and in supporting people. Um, well, hence, so one of the other things I picked up, sorry, I mean, the thing I got from Cinebook was Orbital, but they've got so much great stuff and just, just go and look. But um, Sally Jane Thompson, who Lucy introduced us to on Friday at the yes, pub. Yes, uh, she was lovely. She was, she was. Um, and I hope we didn't make her feel uncomfortable when we asked her to do an interview. We make everyone feel uncomfortable. Well, this was just the latest. Yeah, because I'm whatever the fuck this is, and you're an enormous bearded guy with Galactus shoulders. By which you mean they're pink and have weird things sprouting out of them for no reason. And you, you devour planets. Yeah. It's it's kind of disturbing. Yeah. No, um, Sally Jane Thompson uh, had, 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 she had some cool things at her table, but the, um, the, the book-length thing, the graphic novel, is Atomic Sheep. Which I picked up on the strength of the title, because why the fuck wouldn't you? But it's got this wonderful sort of half-tonesy, slightly kooky cover that's sort of like an awkward compromise between... I mean this in a good way. The, the cover is stylistically like a compromise between kind of something like Scott Pilgrim and the, um, the Tamaki siblings' visual style in... Probably more in Skim than in this one summer. But... Um, it's that slightly chunky manga-influenced, but not manga. Thank fuck. Um, and not that I dislike manga, but I really, really don't get on with the derivative white boy manga. Anyway, that, that's a whole rabbit hole that we shouldn't go down. Um, no, it's it's um, it's kind of gorgeous and, and looks light and funky, and then I flip through it, and it's got a kind of blend of styles going on. It's a coming-of-age tale... Uh, a young girl who gets packed off to boarding school by her parents where everything gets a little bit unsettled because she had been ticking along quite nicely as the coolest girl in art class and is all of a sudden in this really unsettling, highly privileged, hyper-academic environment and has to kind of refind her feet. But and I'm probably selling it very badly, which I'm doing because I haven't actually read it yet, but it looks absolutely lovely and... And it's kind of a cool premise. And I, I do like things that can nail that sort of teen voice, like the Tamaki stuff. So, yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to getting stuck into that. I picked up um, uh, a mini of hers called Scars, which I think is the latest. Mm. Um, which, again, I haven't had time to read, but just on flipping through, very, very uh, much enjoying the art. Quite very different from Atomic Sheep, which is quite digital. Mm. Um, this was very much just sort of pencil work. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed, uh, which wasn't a comic, was the 2000 AD documentary, Future Shocks. Oh, I wanted to see that, but I was doing something else. Um, what was I doing? I think I was hearing about Image. You were the Image Artist panel. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's basically a potted history of 2000 AD. It's kind of potted head. Uh, mm. It's talking heads, mm. as you would expect. Um, and mostly 
it's an excuse for Pat Mills to just rant <laughs> about everything to do with the history of 2000 AD and the sort of screeching incompetence of anyone who's not a creator and uh, uh, the, the incredible contributions of everyone around it, which, you know, are, are com- you know, absolutely incredible. And it's very much sort of focusing on the early days with uh, a little bit. And it doesn't shy away from the fact that things went really, really bad for 2000 AD from about the mid-90s to the early 2000s. Well, yeah, because do you remember when we started stocking it? And it took ages for anyone to start buying it again, and that was in 2004. Yeah, I think that that was just after Rebellion had taken over. And they started to do some smart things, like um, they did a sort of... They did a Shaun of the Dead prequel, mm. um, which I think got some people in, including myself. Um, and yeah, I hadn't I hadn't read two thousand AD for a while because it had kind of gone the wrong way and had had sort of taken th- this this approach of trying to appeal to people who were buying Loaded, and they did some fairly daft things, which no one was very happy about. The thing um, is, a lot of publishers of casual titles, you know, magazines or you know, pie turnaround stuff, did that in the 90s. It was... People followed their weird internalization of a pathological culture. And with a business hat on, I sort of can't blame a lot of people for doing that, but you'd have liked to hope that a few people could have been smarter. Yeah, so the, the the story that it presents is something that has sort of carried on under the inertia of its own brilliance, despite the interference of anyone who's ever tried to market it. Um, I'm not wholly sympathetic to that as a narrative in general, but I can see situations where it might be true. Yes, um, so it's it's it descends slightly into hagiography at the end, where rebellion kind of are the saviors of everything when they bought out 2000 AD. Um, but at the same time, it's had one editor since they took over, or well, mm-hmm. it was like transition from Andy Diggle into uh, Matt Smith, which makes it sound like a Doctor Who thing. It really isn't. Um, Presumably, it'll next be edited, but no, I can't even be bothered. No, don't don't do that joke. Yeah. yeah. At some point, they'll just randomly insert John Hurt as an editor, and no one ever knew. Oh God. Yeah. No, I'm you sorry. Did the joke. I'm sorry. I did. Get out. But I essentially I dived on that grenade for you. Hmm. Uh, that that was kind of noble and brave of me making that shit shit joke. So it's a good film, Future Shocks. Hmm. Um, Is it available, or do I have to get a machine and go back to football? Currently, it's just I'd, doing I'd like do festival rounds. Hmm. I don't know what sort of distribution it's getting. I would imagine it'd be fairly straight to Netflix. Probably, but right now it's doing the straight to Netflix, the non-shit version of straight to video. Straight to Netflix kind of means that, you know, people will watch it. Um, And there's a lot of documentaries that do go on to Netflix very quickly, even after Mm. just sort of limited release. There's a reason about TV that does. I don't think there's too much shame in that, really. Oh, gosh, no. Um, But one thing, if if it does come out in cinemas, it's worth watching in cinemas purely because Alan Wagner's voice is so deep. Someone in there will shit themselves. It'll be hilarious. Are we talking, like, Like, testing the vocal range from Riesel Marsh? Uh, honestly, he sounds he sounds like me talking underwater, slowed down. <laughs> it's 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 a low rumble that will give you good feelings in your trouser spuds if you're in a loose seat. So before we go to the interviews, which is just me sounding nervous and embarrassed against background noise and more and much much more interesting people wondering what the fuck I'm doing, um, Mr. Conroy, 
What did you buy? Um, I bought a fair few things. Um, I kind of went against my own advice and bought Stickleback uh, Volume 2. Oh, it does from, fun, though. From Ian Eddington. Oh, it is fun. In Volume 2, you find um, Henry Jekyll uh, shacked up with Dr. Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and they're trying to cure Henry's condition by administering the lizard serum from Spider-Man. In the middle of a sort of core blimey governor cockney crime caper with circus people with supernatural powers. What the cock? It's it's glorious. It's ridiculous. It's glorious. It's the sort of thing. It's that precious, works. and I want it. Yes, it's the sort of thing that works brilliantly and sort of um, two or three page bursts because it's very very high energy and high concept, and they can just tear through. Was this also two thousand AD? It is. Yeah, yeah. it's two thousand AD. The third volume is just running at the moment. Um, do you know what we in two thousand AD, what we should do a podcast on podcast on crossovers, just so I can wank on about um, Trifecta for an hour. Probably, yeah. Trifecta is is glorious. Cyspera there was there, of mm. course. Disraeli was there. Um, I expected Disraeli to be like a thousand years old, and he's not. No, he's like forty. Didn't talk to him. I was too scared. I was too scared to talk to lots of the people. He was having his breakfast. It would have been rude. Yeah. Yeah. You only know that because I said it right now, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would have been rude. There, there were lots of people around while we were having breakfast, and I have terrible memory for faces. And I was eating a black pudding bagel, so I needed to hide my shame. You were doing a little hate crime, weren't you? A little breakfast hate crime. And then Boulay came over, and it was weird. It was a bit weird. It was a bit weird. Yeah. Um, this is the fun you can have at Thought Bubble, just surrounded by incredibly talented people. You're scared of. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's wonderful. I haven't felt so systemically inadequate since I used to go gay clubbing. Especially because you're straight. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't tell your boyfriend. It'd be awful. I'll, I'll try not. To. It's going to be awkward at this it point. Would, it would be weird. Yeah. Speaking of um, uh, lovely people we got to meet, Douglas Voke was. Uh, oh God, isn't he splendid? He is. He is. Uh, uh, Fantastic man. Just such a charming, self-effacing man. We talked about him a few months ago mm. because he'd been writing Judge Dredd for IDW. And he yeah, wrote City was, of Courts. I was asking about with, that. Um, Ulysses Farina, which is just great fun, very different to uh, normal Dredd because it's set in San Francisco. Uh, mm. Well, it's set in um, the sort of West Coast megacity, which is um, sort of a massive, massive LA. Mm. Uh, effectively, that spreads across the entirety of um, entirety of the West Coast in the same way that Mega City One mm. is is kind of nineteen seventies New York writ large across the entirety of the Eastern Seaboard, um, and he's yeah, it's it's very very funny, um, and it has some really fantastic artwork, um, and just at the point where it was getting so silly and so referencing of Jeff Darrow on stuff like. Um, Rusty the Boy Robot. Um, there is a biplane in the background flying across one of the panels that says "Sorry, Jeff Dar," and then the rest is out of frame, Aww. which is just lovely. Um, Douglas also wrote um, "Reading Comics," which is just a really good. I don't want to say introductory because although Primer, it, although it does introduce better. itself, I think if you came to comics totally cold and read that, you'd struggle. But I don't know. So the the opening half of the book is um, why comics are great. 
it's a great it's without being preachy it sells really well why you should take comics seriously as well I found it I found it invaluable when I was sort of starting to get back into comics after uh, sort of basically a poverty and university enforced absence of a couple mm. of years um, because it's just it's just full of enthusiasm for the medium in general it doesn't look down on the mainstream stuff but is still in fact, very it very a lot good of time at, on the mainstream yeah um, I think it's what, what's the phrase that's used for stuff like um, Tomb of Dracula. I think it's the cheap strong, uh, the cheap, the cheap strong, strong stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it also it, it yeah it introduced me to a bunch of artists and writers that I wouldn't have encountered otherwise. Um, which like uh, Kevin Huizenga, who I really really love now. So it's a fantastic book, and everyone should read it entirely. Put it in the show notes. Yeah, I will. Uh, I picked up a book called Golden Campaign by oh, by Crom. That looked cool. Saying by Crom makes it sound like you're sort of being Conan yeah. by Crom. God damn it. Um, or Christian Ortiz, as he's also known. Um, and it's it's lovely. I mean, the artwork's fantastic. It's sort of a, a long running war or civil war. It's kind of hard to tell. It's a bit World War One esque, but um, there are giant mechs. Um, Ooh. And it's about a... Um, you never really see them, and at least in, as far as I've gone. There are two volumes out so far. It's also available as a webcomic. Um, but it's it's essentially a sort of new young recruit joining a team of mercenaries and um, going off to war. And the art is lovely. There are some really nice Mignola-esque flourishes to it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed what I've read so far. I, I leafed through it, and I can't remember why I didn't buy it. I think it's because I'd run out of physical cash. That will happen. Mm. That will happen. Can highly recommend being friends with someone at the show because then you can just steal their money. That's that's a tremendous help. Mm. Because the cash machines will just run out. Whereas the cash machines have run out because people have given people cash. So if you know someone who's tabling, they basically are a cash machine if you're yeah. willing to write them humiliating quantities of IOUs. Yeah. But basically they are the cash quite machines. A lot of money. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I should I should give her quite a lot of money. Yes. Probably the same amount you are, I believe that's how it works. Maybe slightly more. I kind of want that little chameleon sketch. It's one of the good things about cons is you can get uh, interesting commissions. Particularly, um, it's worth sort of following a lot of the writers and artists that you like on Twitter in advance because a lot of them will do um, commissions for you to pick up at shows. Yeah. Um, I bought a bunch of other stuff as well, but I'm going to write it up. Um, do that. I will. I'll talk about the things that I got and why I like them. Um, a couple of well, a couple of quick things. I got Alfie Gallagher's Spaceman Adventures, which are basically intergalactic, intergalactic David Bowie chasing uh, magical plectrum. Um, cool, which is lovely. Yeah, and obviously got the new John Allison comics because I always mm. do that. Um, it was pretty good. There were so many people there this year. Apparently, there were about three times the numbers of attendees as last year. You're kidding? No, it didn't feel that much busier. So I think that's just the fact that there were so many people going through the um, uh, going through the TP area, and it was just it was well laid out as well. It was it felt very slick this year. Yeah, it was really the only the only problems I had were not their fault even slightly. To keep growing year on year and to keep feeling kind of like a like a small thing and hmm. a safe space and not going off down the road of adding non comic stuff essentially is really really good and. When the other sort of festivals in the UK, I know now we've got 
the lakes, which I haven't been to yet, but I hope to go to next year. I probably won't. Um, well, which is that write up about the business with the stuff and if you have a comics festival in a small town, people are going to be racist, yo. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm which not, is a very valid point. I don't really want to subsidise that. And I know it's not the con, but... Mm. It's an attempt to be essentially like Angoulême, where the entire town is given over to the festival. And... Now, Angoulême I'd like to go to. But we have no, no way of knowing whether or not Angoulême is effectively Land Rover country, but for France. It might be. We could look it up. They call it Le Land Rover over there. And Le Waitrose. Le Barbour jacket. Yeah. I don't know if it's really racist or not. Let's hope it's not. Yeah, so Zenobacta did have that problem um, attending uh, attending the lakes where by it's the entire town is part of the festival and in a small town where they're maybe not used to seeing people of colour or people dressed in headscarves. Yeah, it's not great. I can't think of any good way around that other yeah. than to put it somewhere where people feel comfortable. But thankfully not really a problem in Leeds. No, really not. Um, I've had some bad experiences in the north, but generally on Teesside, where it, which actually is kind of grim, whereas you know the rest of the north is broadly all right. Not to say there aren't problems, but Leeds is fairly, fairly liberal. It's a large student population and... Thought Bubble is removed from the city centre, so it's not really colliding with anything well, else. Yeah, even walking through the city centre, I mean, it seems to be all right. Yeah, Leeds is quite pleasant. Certainly, as a straight white man, I never had any problems there when I lived there. What do you mean that's not representative? You're grinning at me. Did I get my gender or sexuality wrong? I was just going to keep staring at you to try and make you progressively more uncomfortable. Ah. It's not working. I don't care. Yeah, fair. So let's um, <clears throat> let's go into the first of our interviews now. Yeah, so we were kind of... We were zipping around trying to find people to talk to. It's the first time we've done it. Um, I don't think we were particularly good at it, but... Um, oh, don't sell yourself short. We found some interesting people to talk to, so... Yeah, so first, um, first person we talked to was Mario Freitas from Kingpin Books. Yeah, now these guys were interesting. They had a tiny little stall in the... Well, not tiny. They had a standard-sized stall, but they were quite self-effacing in the Armouries Hall. So Kingpin are a Portuguese outfit, and uh, they run a comic shop in Lisbon, and they publish graphic novels in Portuguese. Yeah, and they were super enthusiastic. Uh, and what they had at Thought Bubble was their... Uh, let me get this right. They had their first original work in English? Yes. Or two original works? One original work in English. And their um, little, well, not little, their which was really a, cool sampler. No, anthology. It's not it, was, it was an anthology called Crumbs, which is 12 stories from a whole bunch of their creators. Mm. And unusually for an anthology, everything is good. And the art is lovely. They've got yeah. some strong talent. Um, yeah. Amazing um, range of styles as well. Mario was saying the um, the, Lisbon, the the Portuguese comic scene is a bit up and coming. Um, maybe he was being deliberately diplomatic. I don't know, but from the look of that, it was there's there's some there's some strong talent. And they're publishing over there. I think he said they were one of the bigger publishers over there. And I don't know if this was their kind of spearhead for the UK market or if they were just dipping a toe in. But I would like to see them bring some of their stuff over here. 
Definitely. Um, Crumb, Crumbs was one of my favorite things that I picked up. Mm. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, they're really worth checking out. They're not selling anything online at the moment. They told us they would ship to the UK if people were desperate for it. Um, so it might be worth getting them, getting in touch with them, and we'll put a link to them on. We entirely will. Uh, on the on the show notes. So uh, anyway, we um, we sidled up to it and we shoved a microphone under his nose, and this is what he had to say about it. So you guys are here from Portugal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you we're are Kingpin. Kingpin Books from Lisbon, Portugal. Yeah. Uh, we're established since 1999 as a comic book shop, and we started publishing in 2006. And nowadays, we're probably the most important publisher of Portuguese creators. Oh wow, cool! And um, what have you kind of what have you got here? Your safe place. It's a, a comic written and illustrated by Andre Pereira. This yeah. book is already being distributed by Diamond Comics UK. Oh right. So I hope it will be in the in the UK shops really soon. The uh, the line work is beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. He also did the artwork, uh, the the cover work. I'm sorry. For Crumbs. Crumbs is your anthology. Yeah, anthology of 12 short stories for some of the best current Portuguese writers and artists. A really, really diverse style. I think that's what the Portuguese have in special. They have very diverse styles and that might appeal to, to anyone. So it's I hope a, you try it and I hope you like it. It's a beautiful little book and I, I, you know, we've, uh, we've picked up a copy. I think it's well worth taking a look at. Oh, thank you very much. What, if, um, what, what else have you guys seen that you've, uh, you've liked at the show? Is there anything you, you'd recommend? Yeah, uh, I'm, I also translate books to Portuguese, so I'm looking for different stuff that I don't oh, know cool. from British creators. Yeah. I've already traded or, or, or bought some books that I hope one, one day, maybe next year, maybe later, can be translated to Portuguese and, uh, and have uh, Portuguese readers know what's been done in the British independent scene. Anything you'd recommend? Oh, there's... Lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Yeah. I've seen things from bigger publishers like uh, Self Made Hero oh, they, or, or No Brow. Yeah, but well, they're yeah. widely known, they're yeah. 100% professional. But uh, well, I w- don't want to, to try to, to, to choose any specific sure. creator, but there are many indie creators here that deserve to be widely recognized. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank and you. I hope you, uh, you have a good show. Oh, I'm having, thank you. The next, uh, the next people we spoke to were, so I, I butchered the pronunciation. You're going to have to rescue me here. So, the the book is called Hound, um, and it's by Paul Bolger. I, well, I pronounced that right. Well done. Um, it's it's based on the Cuchulain myth, um, which is is an Irish myth, or it's Cuchulain as well, because when you're in the north, you soften the second syllable on anything. So there you go. Um, that's my little bit of bit of trivia for you there. Mm. Um, it's an Ulster myth. That's mostly the North. I think you should soften it. Mm. But also, I mean, I've read the. Uh, is the Tain? I think is the big. It's the, yeah, it's the Tain Bukalen, which is the um, the the sort of main uh, Irish myth, which is the Cuchulain story, mm. um, which we read ages ago because we were sort of trying to put together a video game based on it which was we a didn't bit do very odd well. we didn't do very well no because neither of us can program a fucking video game <laughs> um, we did have a very talented artist we did have a very talented um, artist and yes. thank you um, Katie for all of your time um, and The Hound which is, is basically it's a graphic novel um, the first volume of which has just been kickstarted yes based which I had totally missed 
I, I saw it and I was sort of getting to that point where I had spent so much money on Kickstarter that month that I didn't want to add something else, but mm. genuinely love the art style. Um, it's actually quite similar to what um, Katie was doing for our game. It's, it's stark it's, black and white with minimal colour. But it, it's starker, it's less painty. Um, it's quite aggressive in places, but not disproportionately so. There's some really, really beautiful use of light and, light and dark. So one of the things they had at their table... Um, the, the book they're working on, and, and Paul will tell us about this, is is a very highly produced piece. It's it's a premium it's a premium thing. It's a gorgeous hardback, and so they had very high quality pages to show, and they were trying to drum up interest. It just looks absolutely lovely. It's 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 rich and detailed, despite being it's, it's not entirely monochrome, is it? Because there are no, spl- there's there's little, little bits of color, mostly red. Yeah, well, as you'd expect. Um, so it's a it's a retelling of the um, the story from the point of view of uh, the Morrigan, which will be familiar. Also, to Maeve. Um, well, Maeve, Maeve is the sort of human antagonist of uh, of mm. the the myth surrounding the Tain, mm. which is uh, it's, it's a fight over a cow. Um, <laughs> there's no there's no getting around that. It is it's uh, the the English name is the cattle raid of Cooley. Um, and it is a fight over a very large dung cow, um, but the 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 setting in in the book is the, the um, it's told from the perspective of the Morrigan, mm. who is a sort of tripartite Irish war and death goddess. And they've made it about her relationship with the world. They've really focused on the aspects of her um, essentially grooming Cucullin. Um, yeah, you sort of see at the start of the book um, her saying that you know we're at peace, and with peace, I will you know I will fade away. I need a, I need an instrument of war, and so in creating or in, in influencing the the origins of the glorious hero, she is in, in, uh, ensuring her own survival essentially because he does not bring glory and wonder; he brings war and battle and chaos, which, which is where she thrives. If I might dip into some nonsense for a moment, is actually almost the opposite of one of the more interesting plausible readings of Mort Arthur. Go on. Well, in, in the Mallory version at least, one one very rough reading of what's going on is that Arthur, who is this kind of philosopher king figure, uh, again, in the Mallory version, which is high... Mallory is, is the postmodern Arthur legend of its period. He's, he was a great... He was a synthesist and a compiler. Not as in he spat out perfectly formed C-sharp, that would be weird. Um, but he, in, in, in his myth, in, in his version of the myth, what you have is effectively the genesis story of a judicial rather than a chivalric society. So you can read a lot of the, um, the Mallory Maud Arthur stories as Arthur deliberately engineering the situation that will happen after his inevitable death, basically engineering an enduring structure of peace in a chivalric war-focused society. That, I mean, yeah. that, that hangs off the stuff to do with um, Lancelot and Guinevere's adultery being discovered and the um, the kind of Hegelian tragic clash thing you get where you've got two irreconcilable structural value systems and he has a choice. He has a moment where he can choose not to... This is not relevant. Sorry, there is the you did not, you did not is, need to read my undergraduate dissertation. There is a huge overlap between the Celtic myths and particularly the Welsh myths, um, and the Arthur story, because well, you I find, mean they come you from find the same. Lan- you find Lancelot stories in um, Burgundy. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
in particular, yeah, in Brittany and various bits of Western France, you have the same stories that you have in Wales and you have in Ireland. It's all beautiful and fascinating. And it's different versions, but yeah, Merlin is you know thought to be well, Welsh yeah. and has different versions. Um, it's interesting. The Tain doesn't really overlap with the rest of it quite so much, which is why I've I think not, one of the reasons I've I think I've not seen it a bit before. I think it's it's why it's sort of treated as the definitive Irish myth in a way, and because it just doesn't have that collision with the rest of Celtic myth. There's no. You know, there's no W.B. Yeats Prancing Fairies version of yeah. the Tain. Um, oh, God, that'd be disturbing. Yes, it, it really would. Um, but brilliantly, the, um, so, some, of the, some of what happens in there is, is contained in uh, an Irish book called The Labor Gabala, which is the Book of Invasions. Um, and I have a brilliant pseudo-comic version of that from the 70s, which just every single page looks like a really shitty prog rock album <laughs> and it's um it's obviously from a time where historical accuracy meant absolutely nothing because you just have these sort of celtic warriors wearing tartan trousers and viking helmets and uh, oh, it looks absolutely batshit i might post a page from it just oh, to show should. how bad it is you absolutely but, should. and this, this is nothing like this is this is a fantastic thing um I would urge you all to buy it. It's currently it's it's a very limited edition premium premium thing. They are taking pre-orders. It is not cheap. It is lovely, and yeah. um, well, we were long enough about it. How about Paul tells you about it? So you guys are working on it's a graphic novel based on the Kukulans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Or? Well, basically, it's uh, yeah, as you say, it's an adaptation of God Kukulin, which is an old Irish myth. Right, butchered the pronunciation. Don't worry. Then. Hey, I do too. I'm from the south of Ireland. Up in the north, they say Kukulin, so right. there's a lot of ways to say it. Don't worry. I've heard other people call it Kuchalain, so <laughs> don't worry. It's Kukulin, so you mm. can't screw it up. Don't worry. Yeah. But anyway, it's a. It was originally conceived like an animated movie, right? Yeah, uh, and. I didn't really want to go down that road because I felt it was being pushed more towards a younger audience. So basically where we're at right now is it was reimagined as a live action film to kind of capture the darker heart of the story, let's say. And as I started storyboarding it and writing the script, because I have the interest in comics, I thought, you know, well, why don't we do a comic? Because I can kind of get it out. I can raise awareness of the project. The story's quite well known at home in Ireland. And some people tend, I met a few people who know it, but it's not that well known. Yeah, so, I think it's quite a lot less so over here and probably in the States as well. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, things like uh, Slán or Slán, yeah. as they might say, uh, over here, it has its roots in, in that mythology. Yeah. And whereas I think projects like that, or even Conan the Barbarian, they, they take this Irish stroke British Celtic mythology and they take it off into its own thing. Mm. I'm kind of staying true yeah. to the original, but I am playing with it because like in any film or comic or adaptation, there are certain elements you have to leave out. Mm. And the one thing that I've done that I think makes it kind of work or makes it I don't know achievable is uh, I'm telling it from the point of view of the villain right, right. so it's her memory it's an unreliable correspondent mm. point of view it's always fun which is kind of fun yeah. so we don't know whether to believe her which also gets me off the hook if a purist or a historian yeah. comes after me <laughs> and you've got the multiple aspects there to play with as absolutely. well absolutely absolutely and you know she's actually the driving force in a weird way in the movie because or just and the book because she I suppose infects him as a child with this conflict and then he grows up with this ability to be a super warrior yeah. falls in love living weapon suddenly doesn't want to fight anymore she's not happy she goes I want to I need war to survive yes. this is bullshit go kill and he's like no and then she starts a war and 
off you go. Do we get a kind of sulky teen phase with that, or is it kind no, of... No, would you believe uh, I had it, <laughs> but there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah. So we meet him as a child, as a baby, about three. We meet him at 12 or 13. Yeah. A little bit of sulk, a little bit of precociousness. He learns his lesson, earns his reputation by killing the yeah. dog. That's how he got his name. Yeah. He's an Irish Coos hound, right? So uh, then when he, we meet him again then sort of 10 years later when he's in his late 20s, let's say, and that's when it kicks off. Yeah. So the first, I would say, if it's a movie, the first half hour is, yeah, it's him as a child. Okay. And then it kicks off when he grows up. In the book three volumes 160 pages yeah. by the end of volume one I've he's been banished so it's like it's the kickoff moment yeah. you know, so. the artwork you've got for it is absolutely lovely I can't wait to thank you I can't wait to see it it was um you started with a kickstarter I think we did uh, we like I said we were developing it as a as, as a film and the idea of trying to do the book came along so what uh, we got some money for the film development from the Irish film boards, mm. north and south, but we had no, obviously, no money to do a, a book, you know. Yeah. And we thought, well, if we go to a publisher, we might get picked up, or, uh, but we may not get an advance that would cover me the time to take time out of my day job, right? Which is so always the hard part. It's always the hard part. So it is. And we, we, we decided to run a Kickstarter, and the people that I'm developing the film with had run a Kickstarter previous on another project. So they had gone through the steps, so we kind of learned a few lessons. Yeah. One thing that we re realized was we, it became a full-time job very, very quickly, as it does. And uh, so we ran the Kickstarter in May, yeah. and we, we surpassed it. We got more than we expected. Always nice. Which was great. Uh, not a lot for me, though. It all went into the rewards and paying this. Pain, the, this pain but it was all right. It, it bought me the last five months. You know. Cool. So, so there you go. Um, when are we when collecting in the, uh, the, the book? Race? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the book is going to be uh, first volume in February 2015. Splendid. Uh, which is great, yeah, and that's going to be a very limited, yeah. high-end, hardback, fancy schmancy signed, numbered edition. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, and the idea behind that was it's it's partly to allow me to draw it, obviously, uh, but if we try to publish thousands of copies and get them into shops, that's not our business. No. So no. we figured we'd do a really nice high-end thing uh, as a promo, almost. Yeah. And. Um, then we would look for a deal with a publisher to license yeah. and distribute. So right now what we're going to produce is 750 really nice copies. Half of them are gone already to the backers and people out of pre-order. It's available for pre-order on the website, which yeah. is houndthemovie.com. Houndthemovie, cool. And uh, we will probably get it into some shops in maybe Britain and Ireland. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the shops in Ireland want to take 10, 20 copies. I think London might take some. Yeah. So there will be copies available, but very limited and, and only available really online. And I would say then the wider release maybe later in 2015. Cool. Well, thank you very much. You it's a beautiful thing. Thank you very much. Wish you good luck with it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So next we spoke to Mindstain. Yeah. Now these guys were interesting. So I on the previous podcast I had a little bit of a dig at the diversity panel because I felt it started badly basically and. Actually, it ended really, really well, and there was some really cool stuff. But one of the turning points for it becoming a bit more interesting and a lot less like people awkwardly looking at each other uh, was when... I hate it when people look at each other. Disgusting, isn't it? Awful. Just the worst. Was when someone who I think was Sarah Peplow from um, what turned out to be the Mindstain Comics Collective or Studio asked a series of questions, basically about women in comics, about access and about publishing that kicked off quite a bunch a bunch of quite interesting discussion. And then we were wandering through the hall the following day and I was going, wait a minute, aren't you... You're really interesting. 
go and talk to these guys. And they also had a bunch of comics about wanking, which, you know, I fundamentally have the sense of humour of a 13-year-old, so... I don't know how you resisted getting one of the little jizz-stained badges. I don't know either. I and Yeah. Basically, between someone who was interesting about diversity and comics about wanking, I just had to go and talk to them. This is this is I'm, I'm a terrible person. This is this this is basically all the things that are wrong with me. You are a terrible person. Let's see how you got on. So you guys are Mindstain. We're Mindstain. Yeah, we're a comic cooperative. So we yeah. were a group of friends who got together um, almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. We launched ourselves um, here at the Bubble, and we had our first stand. Um, and every year we're hoping to bring out a few new things. Um, Sometimes we collaborate with each, other, with each other, and sometimes it's like. Um... The point being, though, is that the company itself isn't uh, a, a profit-making enterprise. It's for the. It's purely for the creators. So anything okay. that we do generate goes straight back into the pockets of the people who actually made it. That's pretty yeah. cool. And is there kind of a particular type of thing you guys are like? What sort of titles have you got at the moment? Well, it has to be said, actually, we're, we're extraordinarily eclectic. I mean, you know, sort of scary space vegetables to dystopian sci-fi and uh, onanism. It's uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, jewellery with an origin story. So, um, yeah, we've all got kind of slightly different interests. I think the common thing is that we're not really a superhero group. Um, we're sort of more interested in kind of what happens in people's heads and what they might create and what they might do and uh, what might happen with society, sort of, you know, psychological future fictions, things like that. Um, so we're... Um, and of course, how interesting the names of mushrooms are. Yeah. That's a very important thing. <laughs> and we've got some comedy stuff as well. So, yeah. Have you uh, you having a good show so far? You enjoyed it? It's gone really well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm very, I'm very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> what have you, um, what, what, what have you guys seen here that you that you'd recommend? What have you seen that you like? Um. I mean, the obvious thing to say is porcelain, right? Yeah, I mean, porcelain is yeah. really pretty. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, yeah. really beautiful. Let's see um, if we can go and harass those guys in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely. Do, so, yeah. Um, do you know, there's so many good things. Oh, now do, you've said, Dr. Like, Jeff's um, always a treat. Yeah. Right? I, you know, I, I mean, I think essentially, even if he was to sell nothing else, uh, Georgina yeah, I, here would have would have fueled his life. So it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a, I've <laughs> seen some really good stuff, but now you've put me on the spot and I can't Sorry. think... Seems exactly to be an awful more. lot of kind of um, this year. Really interesting that there's quite a few political comics. I mean, yeah. beyond the kind of uh, like, I mean, last year for example, I was pretty much the only guy I think putting out a political comic. Whereas now, I mean, I've seen guys who's done an Occupy themed one, and there's yeah. um, there's uh, one about fracking and stuff. Yeah. Like that. I mean, you know, I, I, I haven't. I bought the Occupy one. I haven't actually, I haven't actually seen the fracking one yet, but uh, I'm told it's good. So. Last year seemed to be basically all kind of vampires and zombies, and this year yeah. seems to be a lot more diverse. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people are just more in. I think well, maybe creators are being a bit yeah. braver. Yeah. I think people are getting the idea that you can pretty much do anything that you can think of with a graphic novel. It doesn't have to be a kind of. It doesn't have to be kind of genre specific. I mean, that stuff's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, the notion that you can break out and do pretty much anything that comes to mind is uh, very empowering like, for, the, for the medium as a whole. I mean, I love Punch Face, but... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but it's not something that um, I would usually read. I would usually want to read something that really challenges me. Yeah. And I think it's really nice to see that there are so many people who are, you know, really challenging the what the usual perception of comics is. Um, so it's really exciting. Cool. Well, thanks very much. That's all right. 
So we also talked to Benjamin Reed and Chris Wildgoose from Improper Books. We did. Now, Improper are my favourite new outfit. They do, in the main, well, I mean, you'll hear about some of this on, on the interview, but they do a lot of kind of deconstructed or adjusted fairy tales. Um, and their books are beautiful. So three years ago, we picked up the samplers for porcelain, and then at the and then at Fort Wibble, Fort Wibble 2013, we um, we picked up the actual release of porcelain. This is part of their model: is do a really high quality sampler, and then sell the book. And they'll they'll tell us a bit about that. But so that's kind of risky, right? Giving away like spending that much to just really hope you stick in people's minds. I, it I is disagree. Risky. I disagree. Well, we both work in marketing. Let's have a fight about this. Well, I mean, I regard this as really good top funnel content marketing of the kind that you can do on the internet that is harder to do physically. I think they've nailed doing it physically. Yeah, doing that's that's what I mean, is sort of hoping that people make that connection when they see it in the shop or go to the next show. But, you know, we could back of a napkin the cost, and it's, what, a few K? I suppose. Mind you, I say that. I it's hard. So when what depends on what size business you are. When right. we first saw them, they were just starting out, so they've got a much bigger range now. But they were kind of the porcelain publishers when we first yeah. met them, and now they've got a lot of titles, and they've got some good artists. It, their stuff looks looks lush. They really do. So I mean, you you bought uh, porcelain, you bought mulp, which we talked about yeah. last time. Mulp is is lovely. That's that's the kind of Indiana Jones with mice when all the humans are dead. It's delightful. Um, they also got Night Post, which I really like the look of. I, it's I have to get Night Post. Almost, almost a children's book, and you would definitely get stuff from it as an adult, but it's ba- it's basically about the post that delivers to monsters. But it's such a good concept. It's, it is. It's and fun. It's... And the, the pages are just loaded with um, visual humour. And um, the, the artist that does quite a bit of their stuff, Chris Mogus, um, it's, it's sort of like a... I want to say like a young John Cassidy or something. There's there's something in the line and the style and the design. Something close to photorealism in the same way. Yeah. Really nice. Very nice. Yeah. And they're, they're not skimping on the publishing either. Like Considering they're a, they're a relatively small outfit, these are quality books. Yeah. And they've put a they're lot really, of... No, they really, really are. And, and I a think huge what, range of formats too. Yeah. And I think what, what maybe made it look risky to you up front is that the samplers are not cheap. They're 13... Yeah. 40, what, they're, they're not full length. They're 13 pages or something? Yeah, about that. Um, and they are higher quality than some stuff I've paid money for from Marvel. It's they. It's an interesting idea. I, I love it as a business model. I really hope it's working for them. They're writing well. They're drawing well. I I just love these guys. I And they, they were fantastic to talk to and super approachable. Let's hear them now. So you guys are from Improper Books? Yes. We are, we are indeed. Uh, I'm Benjamin Reed. I'm Chris Wildgoose. Cool. And um, you guys are doing, amongst other things, porcelain. And uh, yeah. Uh, we've yeah we've got a, a couple of ongoing books. Uh, Porcelain's a, a sort of ongoing trilogy. The the first first one's out. Um, uh, the second one's coming out next year, which is called Bone China. And the third one uh, of the projected, uh, and right. that, that's 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 a little way off yet. Um, that's the uh, mine and Chris's sort of gothic fairy tale trilogy, which we launched at Thought Bubble some some couple of years back now, uh, which is, well, has had some very very gratifying reviews. People keep coming back. It's it's, it's been a lovely thing. Uh, we also write a couple of other series, Chris. 
so we've also got Butterfly Gate, which we do together. Um, that's an ongoing one. We've just brought out one book, which is two issues collected. It looks uh, beautiful. Yeah, that one's good. It's got a completely different colorist on it, so it's got a whole other feel. And it's um, while porcelain can be quite dark, that's a whole other level. Like yeah. we we tend to exercise some demons out. On yeah, 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 abso- absolutely, that's, yeah, on a higher uh, shelf. Uh, we've also got um, a, a third wrapped book, which we did a preview for last year, actually called Briar, uh, oh, which yes. is again us mining the, the the alternative fairy tale theme, but I, I hope with their own. Very, very individual angle on it. Um, that was going to be here, but we are we're, negotiations continue with a, with another publisher at the moment. So, but either way, that will that will be out next year as well. So yeah, so we're, we're busy boys at the minute. Um, I love the the model with the little uh, the samplers. Is that, is that working out? Yeah, quite it's, it's, or, it's yes. working out wonderfully. Yeah, we so some years ago, I think we did. Oh, I think we did Bristol, and we had we had a good show, and we sold some little samples. And at the end of it, I was like, well. What we really want to do is is meet people and, and engage with an audience. And I was like, what, what, what if we just gave them away? For and it, and it seemed like a daft idea, yeah. but we examined yeah. it. And uh, and for the price, this is the, the, the model I always use, or offer is for the price of a quarter page ad in Diamond, which frankly hardly anyone will ever ever look at, yeah. and which is then thrown away a month later. You can produce two and a half thousand really lovely comics and you can give them to people which is always a very pleasing encounter just in itself and th- those comics have come back. It's the best yeah. advert we never bought. Well, you've you got just that come back. thing of you pick it up and then the next you come to the yeah. next show and the book's out. And, oh, and, I'm having that. Yeah, and the book's yeah. out. Yeah, ab- well, absolutely. That's what I did anyway. Yeah, yeah it was just lovely to hear. Yeah, and curiously, we've been handing out the... I'm pointing and we're on a podcast. This is useless. Uh, <laughs> we've been handing out the, the, the samples for the second one Bone China over the last day or so, which is... We've already had some lovely feedback on, and I suppose it's daft to me not to realise, but people have come back and bought the first one um, just off the basis of seeing a sample of the second one, which is an unanticipated but but lovely occurrence. So, mm-hmm. tell us a bit about Bone Shining. Yeah, sure. Chris, do you want to go, or would you like me to? Well, no, I'll go for it. Go we, for it. We've been trying to spin on how we're going to do this all weekend, <laughs> don't we? Because it's only just come out. But uh, basically, so from the first book, you follow the child, and then she goes on to this book. Uh, she's it's about 10 years on 10 ish I would say yeah so she's a fully grown woman she's taken over everything that the uncle was doing in the first book and improving on it um, and she's just basically got her own life and is very much in control of it as well and then uh, she comes into contact with well she comes into run yeah, comes to, into blows with the military because they're quite interested in the porcelain uh, and especially the general is very adamant on trying to get it. So it's kind of the monopoly of that. There's also a little bit of a romance going on in it as well. And just generally she gets out into the city that the first book you see a glimpse of in the first page and we expand. The, the, the first book is very much within, I mean, at the start of the book, as, as you know, she climbs over the walls yes. of the house yeah, in, a, in a transgressive act. Yes. And then she's yeah. utterly claustrophobically trapped in there. And that first book is confined by those walls. Whereas the second book, as, and the first book is like that because she's a child and in the second book she is a woman which means that her life has expanded out into the city so the first book has the simplicity of a fairy tale this steps up to a more complex thing there's I mean the first book is kind of based around Bluebeard to, to some extent although we, we went far off the trail on that the second book's got a, a, there's a hint of Cinderella there's a hint of Dangerous Liaisons um, it, it, she, you know, more complex things are happening in her life as Chris said there's this 
odd military industrial thing where they want her stuff and she for her own reasons is not prepared to let them have it there's there's affairs of the heart there's and there's her really also dealing with the damage that was inflicted by the first book and all the terrible things we did Which to her non-trivial yeah yeah absolutely and for her to be a, a, a real and complete person that that needs to be there like she's not an entirely happy happy human being uh, but she's still got I think that fire and spark of, of, of that everyone seemed to love about the urchin version of her in the first book so I was saying in the first book I mean, you'll note that she's never really given a name so she's child in the first book yes. and in this book she's lady yeah. uh, I'm not sure how far we can push this I, uh, I've, got, I've got another one in me before <laughs> it becomes awesome about going to madam well in the third book she'll be mother, mother but, but not right. in perhaps the way you might expect yeah. So yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. But we, uh, but I mean, also as a as a, as a small press, um, we've got. I'm never ever going to say small press ever again. It's a bad word. We're an independent press. <laughs> Stephen from page 45 would slap me with he hates the word. As an independent publisher, which I much prefer, uh, we do. Uh, we, we, we've expanded our range substantially. We've got yeah, um, I noticed this year. You've got a lot of stuff going. On. Yeah, it's it's a, we're. We're we're a studio, not not a press. We we don't take submissions. We're it's it, it's our gang, as it were. Yeah. We we work with that a lot. I mean, I, I've like Chris for years. We met on a film set. Uh, just uh, so one of our, our new books is uh, Night Post, which is a, an all ages piece, uh, which I I write. And Laura Trinder uh, is an absolute wonderful breakthrough artist. Uh, who is also Chris's lady, um, or he's her man, one of, one of those two. Uh, uh, so, so very much keeping it in the family, but a night post is all ages piece in a beautiful hardback. We got end papers, I'm quite pleased about that. Uh, about the postman who's round starts at midnight and who has to deliver to all the ghouls and ghosts. Oh, it, that's so, kind of cool. Yeah, and it, it's done with, in a, a, I, I call it a Raymond Briggsian style, so uh, silent. Uh, incredibly detailed artwork, lots of Easter eggs on every page. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I'll lay up a flick through I, in a minute. I haven't had a flip through yet. So it's it's very pretty. We've also um, got uh, Matt Gibbs and Sarah Dunkerton's book Mulp, yes. which is the brilliantly titled. I wish I'd thought of it. Which is Mouse Pulp. So it's anthropomorphic noir. Uh, it's a uh, sort of It's a lovely thing. 1920s adventure. A little bit of Indiana Jones. Oh, a little bit nice with with the lovely uh, sight it's not even a sight gag it's kind of a lovely sight twist that whilst they're anthropomorphic they are still the size of mice and that the, the humans have died out and like their archaeology is done you see a full-size human skeleton and you're like oh and it flips your whole view of the book as it goes it's a really really nice piece yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into that yeah we've uh, another all ages book again by Matt and the artist Bevis Musson we do Night and Dragon which is a uh, I'd say choose your own adventure but it's more follow the path each so it's night dragon princess what might be seen to be a traditional story as you might imagine from us it's not uh, they there are different and you can follow each character through the book and see, and have a different ending it's beautifully done and must have almost broken his brain trying to lay it all out as a comic so yeah so we're just trying to put out an interesting range mine, mine and Chris's stuff absolutely tends to the more adult end of the range well, YA I guess you'd call it these days um, stuff and we've got we've got a sort of nice all ages reader end as well and it's just doing small small runs for 
in beautiful editions and, and finding an audience. Uh, we're very much UK based and it no, seems, seems to be ticking over all right. You having a good show? It's, it's been lovely, yeah. Everyone's really nice. I mean, we love Thought Bubble down to our bones because it's... Uh, oh, it is, it is a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeless at organising myself to go to conventions, but this one is the one we always make sure we're at. So, yeah, and everyone's so nice. And we've had people coming back and people who've bought them from other conventions uh, and then coming back to get signs or people who've read the book and coming to pick up the preview and... Uh, come to see Night Post as well. Yeah, it's just everyone's just lovely. Love it. What have you What have you seen that you've liked? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I haven't managed to get around properly yet, but um, I mean, I'm dying to get to Jeff Stokely uh, to go and see his stuff. He's, he's apparently got his storyteller piece yeah. that he's doing for. I think it's Arcaea. I think I might be wrong with that, uh, but yeah. I'm hoping to go see that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely love. In fact, uh, on, on the table next to us, uh, the new thing by. You this for a second, Sally? Uh, meanwhile, which is uh, the new anthology, which has got work by uh, our friend Sally Jane Thompson in. It's also got the comeback uh, of Gary Spencer Miller's oh, Strange Haven. I saw that which forever is, ago. It's... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, well, he, I think he stopped about 10 yeah. years ago. Uh, it's the, the, the longest yeah. pause in comics history. It's. Bloody marvellous. I mean, the, the art's great. Uh, Do you remember we stopped that back when we were running the store? Yeah, back in the day. That was, uh, yeah, about ten years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah so he's yeah. just come back with this. Uh, this is, I think this is Soaring Penguin Press, mm. who are, are doing some really, really lovely yeah, work. Yeah, over there somewhere. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Highly recommended. And, and it's really Soaring great, Penguin? Really great cool. to see Gary back in as well. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's Sorry to gavel at you. No, no, fantastic. <laughs> no, um, I hope the rest of the show goes well for you. Thanks, man. So, thanks to everyone who took the time to be interviewed by us. Seriously, thank you guys so much. We were stuttering and peculiar, and you put up with us, and it was a delight. I I very much enjoyed that. Thank you to uh, everyone who organised and volunteered for Thought Bubble as well. It was, once again, a fantastic event, and despite being bigger than ever, was just fantastically run and incredibly mm. enjoyable. Well, I've paid hundreds of pounds to go to software development events that are run a quarter as well. You can't really put a price on dancing to Blondie either, can you? I don't think there was any Blondie this year. But there was some. There was some good sets. Yeah. It was. Oh, and just sorry. Just before we before we wrap this up, the fucking coffee. How good was the coffee? The coffee was amazing. This is the. You there could, were North Star, I think. North Star North, roast. North I think Star roast from Leeds. Yeah. Um, if you happen to be in or near Leeds, check that the shit out. Yeah. So um, rich, fruity, fruity, really good coffee. They could have skimped. On things like that, but they had tea rooms which were fantastic and had amazing coffee, and there was a bar in there, and it was lovely. Just good beers. It just effort and attention to things, and it, it just was, it, makes it's a difference. This kind of event should be, and the fact that other events aren't like this are one of the reasons I don't go to like the MCN Expos or the big comics cons. Or I don't, I don't go to those because I don't want to see William Shatner looking sad in a corner. Well, also that. There's also that, yeah. But, you know, you go to a big exhibition centre, there's going to be a shitty bar, people aren't going to care, it's going to be this grimy corporate operation. I've seen Thor Bubble described as being, you know, a full-size con that still feels like a small, intimate thing, and that's a pretty good uh, description of why it works. And basically no one's an asshole, right? Like, even, even the really big-ticket creators who must be so tired. So I spoke very briefly to, um, um, very briefly to Sean Phillips, 
And I'd caught him just as he was having his... Like, it was his first chance to have a sandwich all day or something. He looked exhausted. So I, I felt... I very guiltily nipped over and said hi and just told him I very much enjoyed his book. And he still... Bless him. He looked shattered and he still made the time to be pleasant and polite. I didn't even, give him, I didn't even buy anything off him. I, oh, God. Everyone is making so much of an effort. It's... It's just good. Well played, Comics Pros. Well played. I think part of it is the fact that it's sort of the one show in Britain where a lot of people try to meet up and there's a general sense of bonhomie that comes from everyone being together or as many as possible being together. I wonder if the party helps. Everyone's got this grotesque collective hangover on Sunday. Yeah, possibly. It's all the kind of, on Sunday. There's a sort of bloodstream decomposition products trenches spirit. Yep. There's definitely that. So without we should we should go before you know choke up. But again, yeah, you look. You look I'm, like a little, I'm a little moistened around the eyes. I will say that, um, and that's not just the general three days of partying and eating too much meat seepage that happens. There's a bit of seepage. You did have some meat seepage. There's a bit of seepage. Um, it's just the best show. It's the best time. We'll be there again next year. And next week we'll be back with the usual tenuous twaddle. Thank you. And good night. Stick jokes, stick jokes, stick jokes, stick jokes. Batman.